Colossians chapter 3. This is a, a fun passage of scripture as we just read in Ephesians. Again, just parallels what's in Colossians. I always look forward to sermons about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives. Everybody else always looks forward to those sermons too, right? It's excitement and just overwhelmed with joy and it's like, can we just skip that portion of scripture? We can't, but uh, we have to, to uh, teach the whole counsel of God. But I hope this morning to unfold some, some deeper truths within the text that we don't just get stuck on some of the surface things that might seem uncomfortable, um, challenging, or, or whatever might be the case, but to go deeper, maybe to understand some of the, the things that are being taught here that will, will help us to, to carry these things out. These are commands, instructions really from God for us on, on how we uh, can and ought to live our lives in such a way as to be a, a proper ex- expression or representation of him. So as we come to the scriptures this morning in Colossians 3, we're mindful of what we've already learned. The main theme of Colossians is everything in Christ, Christ in you, and you in the church. You are in a, you as the church, we as the church are an expression of Christ in us. We're expression, we're an expression of um, perfect harmony with God on the basis of what Christ Jesus has done. We're an expression of that. We're to, we're to reflect that and represent that to the world around us. Um, the freedom that comes from being in a relationship with Christ. We talked about the, just how we're to be heavenly and we're to rise up from the earth and no longer be bound by the things of this world, but now we're to be free and, and floating, if you will, for lack of a better term. I think Peter gives us that illustration when he walks on the water for just a very short period of time. He shows us what it looks like to to rise above the things of this life and to be heavenly. Even though Peter, an apostle of the Lord, did it and gives us an example of it, he did it for a very short period of time, didn't he? And immediately he begins to sink, which is uh, really, I think, reflective of how how we function, right, in our Christian lives is there are moments where we are perhaps floating a little bit above the earth's atmosphere um, spiritually, but it seems like it doesn't take much. The storms, the waves, the difficulties of life seem to drag us right back down to um, where we ought not to be, right? And I don't know if you're, you're like that. I know I'm like that, and I struggle with those things on a regular basis. And so, and so the Apostle Paul is giving some instructions here from scriptures on how to, how to live out, how to express, how to manifest this freedom that we have in Christ, this liberty that we have in Christ, this otherworldly, this, this being, being not of this world, but being of heaven. And we learned in the first few verses of chapter number three that there are two very important aspects to this happening. The first one was you have to begin to separate yourself from the things of this world. You have to, to start the process of alleviating things in your life that hold you down. And he talked about um, uh, earthly pleasures or earthly desires. He talked about earthly emotions like anger and wrath. And he, got, he talks about um, some other things that he deals with at the beginning of chapter number three. That he says, you've got you to, to, to remove these things from your life if you're going to ever rise above the things of this world 
you're going to ever rise above the world. You're going to live free. You're going to live, you're going to live elevated above this world. And then he, he tells us in the um, next part of the third chapter is you, you've got to begin to put some things on as well. In other words, you've got to begin to live a certain way. You think about it this way. In Galatians 5, the Bible says, talking about the fruits of the Spirit, he says, or the, he talks about the works of the flesh first. He gives us a whole list of fleshly things like sexual immorality and anger and wrath and drunkenness. And he gives us a whole litany of things that are above, of the flesh. And he says, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, faith, um, and those were not in the right order, but you, you get what I'm saying. Um, and then he says this, against such there is no, there's no law, right? So living in these things, manifesting these things, delivers you from the bondage of the law, which is directly connected to sin and fallenness and, and, and flesh, and it helps us to elevate above the law, and then, and then we are free, so he gives us those two basic principles. Let me read it to you to give you kind of unfolded in one, uh, in, in two or three verses. In Romans 13, verses 12 through 14, it says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. So this is a, 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 a three verses that really describe for us what the Apostle Paul is instructing us to do, which is to put off those things that hold you down to this earth and put on those things that help us to um, rise above the world, the things of this world. And all of us, I mean, if we, we, we don't have time to go around the room, but we, if we did, we would find that all of us have has something that is holding us down. It's keeping us from really being free in Christ, from feeling and experiencing what it means to have everything packaged in a person and then having that in you. Would most of us say that we have everything that we need for life and godliness? Would we say that? The Bible says that. But would we agree with the Bible that we have everything that we need for life and godliness? Just shake your head if you agree with that statement. Okay, good. Do we live like we believe that? Do we talk like we believe that? So, so, so that's the issue is, is we're, we're wanting to see this. The, the Apostle Paul is wanting to see with the Colossian church and with our church, wanting to see uh, uh, the, this freedom, this freedom that we talk about theologically, he's wanting to see it be expressed. He's wanting to see it worked out so that people can see the church as this place of, of, uh, of liberation, not of bondage. It's, it's interesting, right? Because people see the church, they're, they're literally opposites, but people see the church in both of those lights. Either they see it as a liberating place where people are free in Christ because everything that they need is in him, and it, or it's a bondage place where they have to meet certain uh, expectations or whatever. In the following verses, in verses 18 down to chapter 4 and verse number 1, it's really, uh, he takes it to another level. He's going to give the church of Colossian, Colossae some, um, some real practical things. There are problems within the church of Colossae that are, that are, that are, 
manifesting a lack of freedom in Christ, a lack of liberty, a lack of relationship with Christ or with God through Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is going to get down right to where the rubber meets the road. And I would say to you that what the Apostle Paul gives us is not exhaustive. He deals with with some very specific things because I think that the Church of Colossae was dealing with some very specific things. But it is helpful that we see what is crucial, what is critical if we, if we as a church are going to live above this world, if we're going to live above our circumstances. Appreciated Pastor Michael reading that passage in Ephesians 5 because it is, again, a, par- a parallel passage to this passage here, and we'll, we'll reflect back and forth this morning for a bit. We have three thoughts this morning that I want to address from our text. And if you're taking notes in our, in our bulletin or the outline that I handed out, the first one is the mystery of Christ is expressed in our relationships. In chapter uh, 3 and verse 18, let's look at it together. The Bible says, wives, submit to your, to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. It's interesting that he puts wives first, and we're going to look at why that is. It's the same over in Ephesians. There's a reason why he puts wives first, and it's not because wives are more important in this process. It's not because wives are more guilty in this process. There's a reason why he makes wives the first instruction that is given, and we'll look at that and understand that hopefully by the end of this morning Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily or work with your whole heart as for the Lord and not for men. And I would say this to you, I would maybe go out on a little bit out on a limb, but I don't believe much out on a limb. The idea of working with whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord is an instruction to all of the three um, categories already given. Wives, children, um, servants. So the idea of working heartily as to the Lord is capturing all three of those groups. All three of those people is captured with work heartily as for the Lord. Okay, so wives, work heartily as for the Lord. Children, work heartily as for the Lord. And employees, servants, which really includes all of us, right? It's interesting because we're all captured in this idea of being, we're all, we're all part of this. There's no, no man, woman, or child that's not meant to be in this role of working heartily as for the Lord. So men don't escape this just because it doesn't say for you, and this, the, the, the men loving is a different instruction completely. We'll look at that. But um, whatever you do, do heartily ask for the Lord and not for men. And that is an instruction to wives, children, and employees or servants, okay? For ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that, the Lord, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance that as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
And that's an encouraging, that's an encouraging thing. We're serving Christ. Um, because it's not always easy to serve the person that we're serving, is it? Wives, it's not always easy to submit to your husbands, is it? Is it? No. Children, it's not always easy to obey your parents, is it? It's not. Servants, it's not always, it's not always easy to obey your masters. Employees, it's not always easy to obey your, your employer, your boss, is it? Okay? But he says, you are serving whom? You are serving the Lord Christ. This statement is not meant for husbands. It's not meant for fathers, and it's not meant for masters. This statement is very specifically meant for wives, children, and servants. And we'll unfold that here. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants or your servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So the first thing I want you to consider this morning is the mystery of Christ is expressed in our relationships. That is clearly seen. What we're dealing with here is relationships. And it's interesting because even if you go back to the previous passage of Scripture in Colossians 3, whether you're dealing with um, taking off the flesh or putting on Christ, you deal with relationships, don't you? You know, anger and wrath and sexual immorality, putting those things off, all of those are relational, aren't they? When you're putting on love, when you're putting on forgiveness, when you're putting on forbearing, when you're putting on patience, all of those are relational, right? So everything about, just remember this, everything about expressing liberty in Christ, and I would even say it once, go one step further and say, everything about experiencing liberty in Christ and expressing liberty in Christ is based on relationships, it's based on relationships. If you're going to experience the freedom that we have in Christ, there has to be the proper relationships going on in your world. Many relationships that are taking place today are taking place in such an unbiblical way that those relationships are the things that are holding us back. And it's not that the Lord wants us to get out of those relationships. That's what the world will teach you. If your relationship isn't producing happiness in you, then get out of your relationship. What the Lord teaches us is, is fix your relationship. Structure your relationship in, in such a way that it's biblical, and then you will experience the liberty and the freedom that we have in Christ. It's amazing when uh, people think that their relationship is, is meant to make them, quote-unquote, happy, that they tend to go from person to person looking for someone to make them happy and what they never end up achieving. They don't ever end up achieving happiness. Because <laughs> the reality of it is in this text, where does our happiness come from? Where does it come from? Tell me. It comes from the Lord. It comes from Christ, right? And the proper relationship is a result of us serving Christ and it helps us to live in that liberty. So we, we must understand to begin with that everything about living in this freedom of Christ is about relationship. How do we interact with people, our, 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 our husbands, our wives, our children, or whatever, how we interact with people is a reflection 
on the mystery of Christ. It is either a good reflection or a bad reflection. And it makes sense, right? Because the mystery of Christ is all about relationship, right? Everything about the mystery of Christ is about him being everything, coming in to live with us and creating for us or restoring for us a relationship with God. It's all about relationship. We have a relationship with Christ because of what he accomplished for us. We have a relationship with God the Father because of Christ. It's all about relationship. And as that relationship is in its proper place and we're in our proper order, then we flourish We benefit from that, and we are able to rise above our circumstances and rise above our problems. You guys know what that's like. Um, I've been in many situations in my life. I'm 47 years old, and I can tell you this, that the times in my life when I'm going through difficulties, but my wife and I are really in harmony, those difficulties seem really easy, don't they? It's like you have that one person that's like, okay, they're there for me, right? Right? And there's, some, there's a sense of peace that comes with knowing that you have that relationship that's in the proper order. But I've often been through, I've not often, I've sometimes been through problems in my life where, that, where my relationship with my wife wasn't what it needed to be. And there was a, a lot of despair and desperation because now not only am I got trouble in my life, but I don't have anybody to support me. So relationships are super important. They're, they're critical, if you will, to you and I being able to express the mystery of Christ, which is what we're being called to do here in this passage of Scripture. Three primary relationship categories to consider. Three primary relationship categories to consider. Number one is the church. That is who this is written to. When we go back to Ephesians, it says that Christ gives all of this instruction. And then he says this. This is a mystery. I speak to you about the church, right? He says that in Ephesians chapter number five. This is a mystery. I speak this to you about the church. So the first and and primary place where our relationships are important to our expression of Christ is in the church, how we interact with each other, how we interact with leadership in the church, how we interact with people in the church that have fallen or failed. That's That's a really good way of seeing whether or not or seeing the mystery of Christ. You know, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the way that we interact with each other here at the church is important if we're going to be an expression of Christ. So we take somebody in the church that has fallen, and if we condemn them, are we being a good expression of, of relationship, of Christ's relationship with us, or are we being a bad expression of that? When somebody fails and they repent and we embrace them and bring them back in and we're merciful to them and we're forgiving of them and we're kind to them and we don't hold it against them, we just simply help them, are we giving a good expression of Christ or a bad expression of Christ? You see, everything that we do in the church, how we interact, when somebody succeeds in the church, do we, do we lift them up to a high pinnacle and say, this is a great person? Or do we just live amongst ourselves as everybody being in equality? How we function as a church with success, with failures, with all of those things, how we function as a church relationally is critical to how well we're going to be a reflection of Christ. How we interact with the weak, how we interact with the lowly or the desperate how we interact with the self-righteous or the self-sufficient, 
All of our interactions as a church are a reflection of the mystery of Christ. They reveal something to us about Christ, and they not only reveal something to us about Christ, but they reveal something to us about the to the they reveal something to the world around us about Christ. You are a reflection of Christ. The church is a reflection of Christ, not individually, but in regards to its relationships. So the way that we function Right now, the way that we function in, we're, we're in a difficult, challenging time right now. There are some transitions going on. The way that we function in those transitions are going to be reflective of Christ in some way. The second group that we need to consider is the family. The family is that which makes up the church. He goes to the family immediately here after dealing with the church in the, I think, the rest of the um, passage in Colossians 3. The family. Husband and wife relationships are a reflection of the mystery of Christ. If your relationship with your wife is based upon performance, when your wife fails or your husband fails, your your love for them, your acceptance of them, your appreciation for them changes, is that a good reflection of Christ? Is that how Christ treats us? So we, our relationship, our interaction with our, with our mate is critical to how people see Christ. We're mean and harsh with our wife or with our husband. Is that good? Is that a good reflection of Christ? Are we expressing the, the, the gifts of the Spirit to our mates so that people can see how Christ treats us? It's amazing how... I, I, I often think to myself, am I expressing to others the, the things that I would desire from God to express to me? And the most important relationship that that can be seen in is, is in our relationship with our mate, right? How many of you want to be held accountable by God for every time you make a mistake? How many of you want to see the wrath of God every time you fail? You stumble, you trip, whatever. We don't, but yet we hold our mate to that standard. The family is a reflection of Christ. Husbands and wife relationship and parent and and child relationship. The way that you treat your children is a reflection to them and others on Christ. I remember back in the book of Numbers when Moses was told to speak to the rock and water would come out and feed the children of Israel. You guys are familiar with the story. I think it's in chapter 25, but um, Moses is angry with the children. Notice that he's angry with the children and he strikes the rock and God tells Moses, he says, you misrepresented me in the eyes of the people of Israel. Now you will not enter into the promised land. What was the big deal for Moses striking the rock? Why did it matter? Why did it matter that Moses struck the rock? Because Moses was a reflection of Christ. In the gospel, Moses struck the rock the first time water came out, which was a picture of the law, right? So the law strikes the rock once. But Moses' second time coming to that rock and and experiencing that water was a picture of the gospel. Does the gospel strike the rock? Or does the gospel speak to the rock? The gospel speaks to the rock. When Moses struck the rock the second time, he misrepresented the gospel. 
And what did the Lord say to him? You will not enter the promised land because of that. You misrepresented me in the eyes of the people, of, the, of my children. You misrepresented me, and therefore you will not enter into the promised land. Our relation, how many of you guys, don't raise your hand here, but how many of you have struck the rock too many times? Your kids have done something wrong, and, and you were meant to instruct them and teach them, but you were angry and, and frustrated, and the flames were coming out of your ears and your eyes, and, and, and you struck the rock. And you, and you, I mean, there are times that, that the, right, the rock needs to be struck. <laughs> that happened the first time. There are times that the rock needs to be spoken to. Right? But listen, here's the, here's the key. The key is, is that your relationship with your children is a reflection on Christ, on the mystery of Christ. Career uh, is the last one. And just, just note this as well when, as we go through these. This really covers the whole gamut of life, doesn't it? Every aspect of your life is a reflection on Christ. Whether it be your relationship with your family, relationship with your children, or the relationship of your career. Everything in your life is a reflection of Christ and the mystery of him. You are showing the world. So here's the mystery. Mystery is something that's hidden, right? So you are not the mystery, but you are the revealer of the mystery. You are the one who is unpacking it so that the world doesn't see it as a mystery anymore. Now they see it as a reality, as expressed in the church. Career, which are necessary for families to survive, servant and master relationships, employee and employer relationships. Again, these relationships cover the whole gamut of life. All relationships reflect on Christ. Some reflect poorly on Christ. Some reflect well on Christ. But but relationships are the essence of revealing or expressing the mystery of Christ. And again, I would go one step further and say, if you're going to experience the intimacy with Christ that causes you to rise above your circumstances, it's going to begin with your relationships. And it's going to end with your relationships, and everything in the middle is going to be about your relationships. I mean, honestly, do you not feel like when your relationships are in order that things go better? When your relationships stink, things go bad? It's all about relationships. Why? Because with Christ, it's all about relationship. Is, is, it, is with Christ it about performance? Are you glad that it's not about performance with Christ? Because you, you, you guys, we all fail. It's not about performance, it's about relationship. And relationship is based upon forgiveness. It's based upon grace. It's based upon kindness. It's based upon gentleness. It's based upon patience. It's based upon the fruits of the Spirit, is it not? If you want to have a good relationship, stop holding your mate to a standard of performance and start holding them to the standard of the fruits of the Spirit. Not holding them to it, but holding yourself to it. And then, go to, and then go to 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about what real love looks like and then stop holding a record against your mate. The, the Bible says that true love never keeps a record of wrong. I don't know. Does that work? No, it's Bible. I know it doesn't fit to what we all have experienced, but it's true. We need to get back to it. So note this, the mystery of Christ is best expressed or is expressed in our relationships. 
The second thing I want you to notice in the text is the mystery of Christ is expressed in our roles. It's not just our relationships, but it's in our roles. What you see is you see six different roles mentioned here in our text. And they're very, very specific it's, because what the, what the Apostle Paul does is he actually points out a role first, right? Wives. Is that who we are? Or is that a role that we're in? We're in a role of being a wife. We're in a role of being a husband. And he, wants, he points it out specifically, distinctly with each one of the roles that we're in. So note this. Husbands can turn your radio off right now. This instruction is to whom? It's to wives. That's why he puts it there. Wives. I'm talking to wives now. I'm talking to women who are in the role of a wife, who are performing that role. Wives, this is your role, your responsibility and your role. Husbands, this is your role. And wives can turn their radios off. The problem in our generation is is that everybody has their radio on when it talks to the other person and everybody turns their radio off when it talks to them. The scriptures is very clear. You don't need to be worried about wives. You do not need to be worried about what your husband is doing. Husbands, you don't need to be worried about what your wife's responsibility is. You need to be worried about your responsibility. That's why he makes the distinction of the roles. Wives, husbands, this is instruction specifically to ex- for those roles. And why are those roles important? Listen to me. Those roles are important because they are expressing the mystery of Christ. They are an expression of the mystery of Christ. You performing your role, ladies, as a wife and husbands performing their role as a husband, and fathers performing their role as a father, and children performing their role as children, and masters performing their role as masters, and servants performing their role as masters. What makes all of that important? Why do all of those roles matter? Because, see, we want to rip all those roles out of place today. We want to throw them out the window. Why do those roles matter? They matter because they are a reflection of Christ. They matter because they magnify the mystery of Christ. They express the glory of Christ. You can't take the roles away from men and women and still continue to express the glory of Christ. We live in a wicked world today, folks. We live in a wicked world today. And and it is, is, I, I think, almost somewhat ignorantly following the path of Satan to accomplish Satan's work, who hates Christ and wants to do everything he can to destroy them, and they just simply follow his deceptions, and they live in light of what he says, and ultimately Christ Christ gets um, the short end of the stick, or however you want to say that. The roles that you are in is important. The instruction is given to specific roles. Again, no wife instruction given to the husband, no husband instruction given to the wife. Because remember, the instruction given to the wife is not about the husband. Right? Who is it about? 
It's about Christ. The instruction given to the wife is not about the husband. That's why he specifies this is for wives. And this is about Jesus. It's about his glory. It's about the, the mystery of him being expressed. Husbands, when you start worrying about your wife doing certain things, or wives, you start worrying about your husband doing certain things, guess who it becomes about? Who does it become about? It becomes about you. And who is it about? It's about Christ. Your role is about Christ. Your role is about Christ. There are two roles mentioned here, and I'm going to look at these two roles. There is the responsive role, and there is the representative role. The responsive role and the representative role. There are two roles. And let me say this to you. Christ fulfilled both of these roles. Christ fulfilled both of these roles. These two roles are what matter in this text. Yes, you have wives and children and servants fulfilling one role. Yes, you have husbands, fathers, and masters fulfilling the other role. But Christ fulfilled all of these roles. And all you've been doing, you've been called to a certain role so that you could express Christ in a certain way. And when, the, when we want to say that, that wives are not in the role of responder, they're not in the submissive role, we're not just destroying the role, we're destroying the expression of Christ. Because Christ structured it in such a way so that we could have a way to honor him. That's what we want to do, right? We all want to honor Christ, right? May I submit to you that we all want to honor Christ until it goes against what we love and like. Until it contradicts our pleasures. There's the responsive role, number one. It's the wise children and the servants. These are the submissive ones. These are the obedient ones. These are the servant roles. These are not negative roles. The world has taught you that these roles are negative. Do you know who exemplified these roles perfectly? Who did it? Jesus did it. So please, this morning, do not minimize Christ by saying the roles that he fulfilled were somehow insignificant. They're not insignificant. They're significant because, listen to me, they're not about you. They're about Jesus. Life is not about you. I, I appreciated Ron. I think Ron did the, the plan this morning. And the, the verses up there, it talks about that they did not love their life even when faced with death. Man, we could really learn from that. Because we all love our lives. Probably way too much, some of us. These were roles of submission obedience, and we see that. Wives submit, children obey, servants, um, servants obey. And then it goes on to describe those roles in more detail. I want you to note this. These are willing 
actions. They're not forced actions. There are real willing actions by the responder who wants to express Christ in their role. Christ is the example of this. Perfect submission, perfect obedience, perfect humility, perfect sacrifice, perfect service. And even he did it in moments of injustice, did he not? Scriptures tell us that even when our master is harsh and mean, what do we do? We still obey him. We still submit to him. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, we read it already. Have this mind in you, among you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, this is Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count an equality with God in a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." Christ is the perfect example of a responder. The role of responder, Christ exemplified. And children and wives and servants are responders. God has created it that way. God has structured it that way. Even in the garden, God organized it that way. Our expression of what Christ did is, as responders is, wives submit to your husbands, which means to put yourself under them. It's a, it's a term that's used to describe um, order and rank. It's put yourself under, willingly put yourself under the authority of your husband. Right? Horrible thing. Great thing. Christ did it to the Father. Children are to obey their parents in Everything. Employees are to obey their bosses and everything. And obviously, in each one of these cases, if, if, it dis, if, 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 if something contradicts the Scriptures, that's something where you have to work through that. But ultimately, these are characteristics through which and by which we, 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 we um, honor Christ, reflect on Christ. All work for the Lord with the whole heart. And we see that at the end of that portion of Scripture. Then you have the representative role. You have the responder role. This is one that responds to, okay? This is why the wife is mentioned first because truly this is instruction given to the wife and now we get to the responsible role. The responsible role is simply this. Husbands, fathers, and and masters are to treat their wives, children, and servants in such a way that it makes it possible for them to do what their role is. That's why it never says to the master, to the husband, or to the father, do this for the Lord. Do you know who you're to do it for? You're to do it for your wife. You're to do it for your children. You're to do it for your servants so that they can serve the Lord. Now you are a representation of God. This is the role of representative. Husbands, parents, and and masters. Christ is the example of this as a representative. 
He loves his people. He sacrifices for his people. He serves his people. He leads his people. He does whatever he does. Listen, this is the representative role. He does whatever he does for the people as a result of his own character. Jesus, in the representative role, is not responding to something. He is leading something. He is doing something based upon his character and the need and the need of those to whom he's leading. Christ performed both of these roles. He was a responder to God's instruction, but he was also a, a representative. He was the one who was doing that which was the best for those who were following him. He wasn't needing to be told what to do. The scripture tells us in John 10 that he laid down his life of his own accord. No one took it from him. He laid it down of himself. Christ did what he did because he loved his people. Christ did what he did because he cared for us. Christ did what he did because he was purchasing us with his own blood. Our expression as representatives is husbands love your wives. Listen to this. Our, our attitude is husbands love your wives because it's a good thing to do. Is that what it says? Husbands love your wives because the Lord tells you to, because you're going to be rewarded by the Lord. Here's what it says. Husbands love your wives and do not exasperate them. That's what it says. Husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands love your wives and do not be bitter with them. The issue is the husband's role is a representation role of God and he is doing what he does as Christ did what he did for the complete good of the one to whom he is serving. And that is our role. That is your role, men. Husbands love your wives and do not do not be bitter at them. Do not exasperate them. This is a willful act of the character of the one who is doing it. He is not responding in this situation. Jesus Christ did not look down from heaven one day and say, man, I got all these good people. They all want to follow me, so I think I'll respond to them and I'll come down from heaven and die for them. Is that, is that what he did? He looked down from heaven, he saw a bunch of people resisting and rejecting him, wanting nothing to do with him. He says, you know what, I think I'll go down from heaven here and die for them. Jesus made a willful decision, not a responsive decision. He loved the people and he served them. This is why you go back to Ephesians chapter number four. The Bible says this about husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her. Everything about the husband's work is for the wife, for her standing before God. Everything about the husband's instruction about the children is for the children and for their standing before God. You see, the husband the master and the father, their concern is not as much how well they will stand before God. Their concern is how well their people will stand before God. They're concerned about how their wife is going to stand before God. So they're going to make it easy for their wife to be submissive. 
That's what it means, literally. They're going to do whatever it takes to, to help their wives be submissive because their wives are representing Christ through their submission. They're going to do whatever. Listen, why does it say do not, do not push your children to anger? Do not push your children to anger. Why? Because the instruction given to children for which they will be accountable is that they be obedient. So the Lord says to the representative role, do nothing that will make your wife, that will, be, that, that will cause you to see your wife as exasperating or make you bitter against her and do nothing that's going to force your kids into anger. Why? Because you're serving them. You're living for them in the same way that Christ did what he did for us. Not because of us, but for us. The reality of it is, guys, is that we've become responders. True? So when wifey is good, good wifey, we treat her with love. When she's bad wifey, we treat her with hurt and pain and harshness. True? We're not meant to, that's not our role. That's not what we're meant to do. We're meant to represent Christ as the representative of God. He doesn't do what he does because we're worthy of it. He does what he does because it's within his heart to do it. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially, unconditionally, simply because it's in your heart to do that and never become exasperated with them. This simply means this, they're going to fail. Amen? But if you let their failure exasperate you, you will misrepresent Christ. Does Christ, does our failures exasperate Christ? Sure hope not. He'd be pretty exasperated, wouldn't he? This is our role that we're living to, to reflect on him. Parents, lead your children and don't push them to anger or frustration. Frustration by being inconsistent, by being a Pharisee yourself, by over-disciplining or under-disciplining, by not being honest, by not being consistent. There's a thousand things that we do as parents that exasperate or push our children into anger. Listen, dads, this is the primary focus here, but I think parents could be included in it because the Greek word is also used for parents. But parents, do what you do for the good of your children. Help them to do what they need to do. Bosses, lead your employees fairly and justly. Let me give you one last thought this morning. The mystery of Christ is expressed in our rationale. The mystery of Christ is expressed in our rationale. And I've given you some of this already, just give you a little bit kind of in closing. Our motivation is important our motivation, why we do what we do, is important to the mystery, to reflecting on the mystery of Christ. Why do we do what we do? Okay? You'll notice in the text of Scripture, well, I'm not going to read it to you again, but you can look at it again. A responder is motivated by the character of Christ. It is fitting in the Lord it's for, for wives to be submissive. It literally means that it, it fits the Lord. It's fitting to the Lord. Do, do wives be submissive because it's fitting to the Lord? Be submissive because it's just, it fits the Lord, right? It just fits his character, 
fits his nature. The most submissive person to ever walk on the earth was the Lord himself. So it's fitting to the Lord. So wives, what motivates you to be submissive? The fact that it's fitting to the Lord. Right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is pleasing to him. So you'd, what, what motivates it? it? It's motivated by the fact that it pleases the Lord. Christ was submissive to the Father. Christ did what he did to please the Father. This is all a reflection of representative of Christ. It goes on, um, servants, obey your, obey your masters in the fear of the Lord. Obey your master because of the reward of the Lord. What you note is this. A responder does what they do. Their rationale behind what they do is always whom? It's always the Lord. That means sometimes your husbands aren't going to be the best things in the world. Husbands, say amen. Come on, you guys. I know you guys better than this. Husbands aren't going to always be the best things, but are you doing it for them or are you doing it for the Lord? Right? Dads aren't, kids, dads aren't going to always do the best things, but are you doing it for them or are you doing it for the Lord? Right? Employees, your bosses aren't going to always, some of you have lost bosses, but who are you doing it for? Who are you doing what you're doing for? It's an expression. Those, those roles, those responder roles, are expressing Christ in his responsive role to the instruction of the Father. Everything expressing Christ as a responder is done for Christ. Submitting to your husband, obeying your parents and masters, the ultimate reason behind all of these things is Christ. In the same way that we see throughout Scripture that Christ responded to God's instruction, that Christ responded for the glory of God, right? As a responder, we are motivated by Christ. Representative's role. As a representative, you are motivated by the needs of those who are looking to you. You are motivated by your wife. You are motivated by your children, by their well-being. You are motivated by their care. In the same way that Christ, yes, was motivated as a responder, Christ was also motivated by a love for us. And the roles that you perform, master, parent, husband, are meant to not be responsive roles, they're meant to be representative roles. That means that you do them because it's the right thing to do. You do them because you love the one for whom you serve. We are concerned about our wife's sanctification, so we love them unconditionally. We make it possible for them to submit we are concerned about our children's future, so we help them learn obedience and submission as well. We are concerned about our, our employees or our servants' well-being, so we serve them, we work for them, we labor for them. And in doing so, we make it possible for them to accomplish what God has called them to accomplish. In the same way that Jesus Christ made it possible for us to submit, for us to obey, and for us to serve, as representatives, we make it possible for wives to submit 
children to obey, and servants to serve. Representatives make it possible. You're a leader. You do things for the benefit and the blessing of others. And then the last thing this morning is, is that the last thing that, first of all, a needed for others motivates the representative role, and then the master, that you have a master in heaven motivates also the representative role. In other words, you have a master over you as well. And when you look to your master over you, who is Christ, he asks your master how he works towards you and treats you ought to be a motivation for you doing the things that you do. Again, think of it this way, husbands, masters, parents. Think of it this way. How would you want Christ to treat you? If he says submission is the goal, how would you want him to treat you if you had to be submissive to him to be accepted by God? If you knew that the standard for you was you had to be completely submissive to him, how would you want him to treat you? Would you want him to treat you lovingly, patiently, gently, kindly, right? If you knew husbands and masters and fathers that your standing before God was based upon how obedient you were to Christ, how would you want Christ to treat you? What you're asking yourself is simply this. How would I want a master to treat me to help me become what I need to be? Then I'm going to manifest that to my children. I'm going to manifest that to my servants. I'm going to manifest that to the people around me. I have a master in heaven as well. Christ is the example to husbands, parents, and leaders. Christ is our standard, and Christ is our judge. In the end, in the end, we are representations of Christ. We have different roles. We never should forsake those roles. None of those roles mean less than other roles. All of those roles are meant to be a reflection on Christ. And the better we can fulfill those roles, the better we carry out our our reflection on Christ. The world has got us to the point where we're trying to go and take on other people's roles, right? Women want to be men. Men want to be women. Nobody wants to be married. It's a, crazy, it's a crazy, crazy world that we live in. It's the uprooting and undermining of everything that God has created for his glory. Is it not? We've got to say no to the world and yes to the word. And re-embrace what Christ has created us for. We re-embrace why Christ has created us and why Christ has put us into those roles. Even, listen to me, even from the beginning of time. He literally, in Ephesians 5, where he says, husbands, um, uh, leave your families and and, uh, cling to your wife. You know where that comes from? Genesis 2. It's like getting back to where we ought to be. So just my challenge to you this morning, my challenge to us this morning, is to remember, as a reflection of Christ, as a church, as as families, as employees, as a reflection of Christ, we have relationships. 
And it is in those relationships that we, that we necessarily must reflect Christ. And in those relationships, we have roles. And it is because of those roles and through those roles that we reflect on Christ. And our rationale or our reasoning for loving our role is also a reflection of Christ. Everything about our relationships is a reflection of Christ. So if we're going to rise above, listen, I know this sounds, this sounds totally not um, politically correct, but listen, if you're going to rise above, you've got to become what this book tells you to become. And you're going to fight this book with all your might trying to find the things that it offers freely by submission to it instead of just laying down and saying, you know what, I'm just going to do what it says. I love Jesus. I'm going to do what it says. I love my wife and my children. I'm going to do what the word of God says. And Christ will be glorified. And when Christ is glorified, then uh, things are good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you so much, Lord, for our time together. Thank you for your word, for the challenges that are there. Lord, maybe we've... I I know that there's probably no one here this morning that didn't already know this this truth, um, but maybe we've forgotten it. And um, I just pray that you would forgive us and help us to see the value of expressing the mystery of Christ in our churches, in our families, in our jobs, in our relationships, in our interactions, in our attitudes, in our roles. Help us to know that these are not expendable things. These are important things. Might we embrace them and serve you with them in Christ's name. Amen.